Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and ahead of the Brentford match against Millwall this coming Saturday, I'm delighted to be again joined by analyst and scout Jordan Weimer, aka Watford Analytics. Jordan, how are you? And thank you for joining us. Yeah, great, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Oh, no problems, no problems. Glad to have you back. Um, so this we is going to be another... really be doing this right now, should we? I feel like kind of, <laughs> we should be enemies, you know? This is kind of like a this is kind of like a Christmas Day game of football between between the trenches, right? That's yeah. Um, maybe that's maybe the underlying um, message there is there's no real battle going on and it's just um, quite friendly. <laughs> We're all the same, aren't we? Really? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, so this is going to be another look at the opposition um, for Brentford and um, Millwall, how the two teams sort of match up, and um, yeah, probably going to kick lumps out of each other, ready for Watford to clean up and ease to <laughs> two four nil victories later in the month, but. Um, but yeah, just a bit of a recap first, I guess. Since we last spoke, uh, Brentford have had a couple of fixtures. Uh, Watford, kind of one and a half, like we briefly discussed, Borough in our last um, chat and the Brent, uh, the Birmingham um, analysis. Um, Brentford picked up four points and uh, Watford have picked up four points as well. Um, anything interesting from those couple of games, Jordan, that you want to highlight? Anything that's um, maybe shocked you yeah. or from an opponent perspective? I think I think just to highlight from a just from a Brentford perspective too, I think it's probably worth noting we haven't been at our best since the since the international break and I think those games against against Middlesbrough and, and Reading were kind of two examples of that. I'm not sure if you got a chance to watch the Reading game, but we did win 2-0 via two really good, quick goals from Ismail Asar in quick succession and it was enough to kind of get us that win. We weren't at, we weren't at our best. Um, I think pre-international break, we were kind of firing on all cylinders and since then we've, we've not quite looked ourselves. We just happened to have that kind of individual quality that's able to have those moments and and pushed us through and got those three points and the Middlesbrough one was a real a real difficult one that was that was one where Warnock kind of won that game there he, he outcoached us a bit and we struggled to kind of find find answers to questions he was posing us so I'd say at this point um, I know you've got obviously that that point difference that point gap 
Um, but it's not maybe as far off as, as some might think because for me we're not quite performing at the level that we, we could be right now and that's that's a little bit of a concern going into the rest of our season. We've got some really tough fixtures coming up. Um, obviously Luton, Derby, Norwich away and then and then Millwall as we're discussing here today. So should be interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think um, there's going to be a lot of twists uh before we get to the end um just on reading yeah I, I did manage to catch that i watched that back and um uh, I, I think just the power in the early phases like the explosiveness of Saar was just far too much reading to handle and just caught them cold and then uh, I, I just think you managed the game throughout for the rest of it really you let them come on to you and you could make opportunities on the break and um there were some dangerous moments reading but i don't think um I don't think there was any fear, really. I think you um, was just comfortable that they weren't going to get three past you. I think that if they got one, that would be it. I don't think it was a, uh, it wasn't like a back to the wall, um, and it was just control from you guys managing it out. So definitely confident um, off the back of what was a little tricky draw against Borough, which um, probably where your where your lack of confidence came from is in like slipping a lead and letting that drop when you maybe had the points. Um, well, felt like the points were were yours to win. Um, from a Brentford perspective, so we yeah, so we convened and spoke before Birmingham, which was um, uh, an interesting time. I think we spoke a little bit about what it was. Bowie, one of Bowie's early games in charge, we were a bit tentative about how he'd um, how he'd fare, and uh, I was a bit worried about um, about facing Bowie in Birmingham because he's just a really good coach, um, really successful, and the game played out how I thought really. Um, just much like what you'd expect from a Bayreuth team. Really good use of his forwards. Um, midfielders, knew when to, midfielders knew when to play at the right times, got, got forward well. Halilovic was a bit of a star on the day, broke into the box many times. And it was just it was just a frustrating game because it was the same old from Brentford. And we were, we were sort of felt like we were going down a bit of a cul-de-sac and the changes weren't coming. And the only change Frank did make was swap the wingers round. Um, Brian and Bemo went on to the left wing. Canos went on to the right so we had instead of these um, inverted wingers that we're so insistent on playing, we had like wingers playing on their actual sides and got a few crosses in off the back of it. But it because the wingers weren't inverted, you didn't get those runs on the other side coming into the box, and in the end, the crosses were easily defended against. And 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 Birmingham really came to play like they had the biggest chance of the match. Gary Gardner hit the inside of the post. Um, we had a few efforts, but I, I don't think um, I don't think the draw was unfair, and Birmingham will be. But well, they'll feel aggrieved that they didn't nick something and actually take the three points in the end. They're more than happy with a draw. Um, and yeah, it was that four through three again. And then we went on to Preston, and uh, this well, it felt like a bit of a big change. I mean, it was the it was the changes everyone was crying out for. Um, so we spoke about some of the problems. Uh, one of the questions from a while back that we had sent in was saying, is this slump going to continue on the other side of the international break for Brentford? And my answer to that would have been yes, because I don't think Frank's going to change anything. Similar thing happened against Birmingham, but Preston, we saw big changes. Um, have you, I don't know if you've uh, managed to watch anything back of Preston, Jordan, the big 5-0 win for Brentford. Yes, I did go and have a look at that. Actually, I was quite curious to see what the dramatic turnaround was. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's quite. I mean, it's quite pleasing from from your perspective, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, just mainly because a lot of the changes were even even people without a keen eye are, are probably leaning towards some of those changes. Now, it it doesn't take um, it doesn't take a genius to think that Tony's looked quite isolated, and when he's dropped deep, and um, Canison and Bemo have moved beyond him, that 
those two aren't reliable in like one-on-one situations you, d- you don't want many chances falling to these guys like they are just not they're not they're, basically you don't want your best chances falling to them and um cannot prove this again with just missing a 1v1 in, in the Birmingham match which was really disappointing um and Bremo's been woeful in front of gold as well up until that point um so it was like we need we need to get some support to Tony basically so we're, we're crying out for um, crying out for a formation which includes Marcus Force and Fossu. We need to get those two players on the pitch. A little bit more accurate on the ball. Force's finishing is ruthless. Um, really good connection on the ball. Like just can just can move his foot just to keep the ball striking clean and um, rarely scuffs things. Like he just hits the, he hits the ball clean and it's on target. And I think we've needed that a little bit when you're so reliant on Canison and Bemo playing and just providing a bit of support to Tony, but then running on behind, beyond Tony as well. So that was a really good plus point, getting him into the team. And then Fosser as well was one of the stars of the game, just floating great, off the yeah. right. Yeah, he was just almost unplayable at times because um, Preston had no idea how to pick him up just between that little pocket between uh, the back line and, um, and Preston's defensive midfield area, just ghosting in there, picking up the ball and and turning and slipping little balls through and um, just just really, really sort of all round like uh, an old attacking midfield performance, which Brentford don't really play with that player and have probably needed that for a long time. But it was it was just a smart positioning of, of him all through the game, like did the defensive work on the right, but in possession just could float really wherever he wanted to, but mainly central and just supported um, Force and Tony really well coming through the middle and... Yeah, just just covered a lot of ground and and did some really good creative work as well. Um, anything else? You do you see anything else that you were very impressed with with him? I think just yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying there, covering the covering the ground. I looked at his heat map afterwards too, and he's kind of literally covering everywhere in that midfield. He was just mm. able to be quite active, and he was able to get in the box. And I don't know. I think he gave you just a little bit of dy- dynamism and a bit of bit of energy in that midfield that you maybe maybe the flexibility. I thought of that midfield just looked so much cleaner. It looks a lot smoother. Um, the way the players were kind of able to move around and have a little bit more freedom in some areas, and I think Fossey was was definitely key to that. Um, I, I think now it's kind of hard to it's hard to justify not having that, not having him in the team now. Once you've seen what that can do, it's, it's a difficult one to go back from. Yeah, I know we've uh, messaged. I'm not sure if we said it on the Birmingham recording, but we were trying to look at some variety of what Frank could do to reinvigorate this team. And one of the things we definitely we've said in is a couple of times is looking at maybe like a diamond shaped midfield where mm. you do have two strikers and an attacking midfielder behind because um it, it just answers a little bit like when you miss De Silva and like Henry you're not you haven't got quite got the progression just having that extra yeah. attacking midfielder pinned there or or just floating left and right um can give you a bit of a pivot centrally which which can get you upfield and it's felt Brentford have felt stodgy at times, but Fossey's performance was yeah. I, I think you're right. It's, he's almost played himself into contention. Like he's literally undroppable now. Because if you yeah. if you do drop him, you sort of go. It's like two steps back after taking um, a couple of steps forward. So he he had a really good game, and um, yeah, that that midfield worked quite well with Jensen and Yanelt um, just behind him. Um, but yeah, there, there were just lots of things. It, it wasn't really just the scoreline. I think it was just reinvigorating the team. Um, build-up's just been... It, it's looked so laboured with the back four and they sort of sit there. None of the full-backs have been getting forward well. Um, really, Janelle and Norgard haven't been working either. So we've got two midfielders kind of treading on each other's toes none of them wanting to move beyond the ball or receive in front of them, just all wanting it to feet. It's, it just looks quite stodgy and... Um, Frank, yeah, he, he pulled Norgard into the defensive line. So we had a back three, which 
which um, turned into like a 3-5-2 and um, yeah, a little bit of basically actually a lot of asymmetry down that left-hand side and Roslev got loads of space down the right in off the back of that and it was just almost unplayable just hitting the space as often as he could um, and set up a couple of goals actually just from crossing on that right-hand side so it, the changes worked really well and um, it was yeah it was it was good to see them because I think a lot of people have been crying out for them but also um, just a reminder that Brentford are like a, a lively creative um, sort of not just flowing but a dangerous team and I think we we lost a sense of that I do think when you have that when you have that ability to progress the ball from defense things like if you're maybe if you, you kind of have some injuries at fullback and you're not maybe as offensive as you can be from fullback I think switching to that back three and allowing those outside center backs to have the ball that are quite comfortable in possession it's a good way of kind of finding different avenues up the pitch and it gives you some more numbers in forward areas. If you Obviously, using a three-at-the-back system can either be very defensive or very offensive depending how you deploy it. And yeah, Obviously, if done correctly, see. it can be both. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And it, in an ideal situation, you'd want to have that you know balance of finding both in the game when needed. But I think I think it suits you guys and how you play and you have, you have the personnel within it to play. Um, just from a Watford perspective, we've had... We've had various back three systems over the years and we've had some defensive ones and always the time where it's really faulted or failed is when those outside centre-backs aren't comfortable on the ball or they're not the most progressive on the ball, the likes of Eunice Kabul we've seen out there and these sorts of players that are kind of these more combative central defenders which are kind of forced into those areas. But I do feel like you've got a good balance there um, in terms of players that can actually play that ball forwards and look to find those midfielders because once you do get into the forward areas, I think having that support for Tony and, and being able to kind of move players around the likes of Foster, it just gives you some flexibility. And when you're playing against a rigid team like Millwall, then it's, it's oh, coming up Millwall and Preston previously, it's ideal for you. And I think Preston really kind of made to pay for that. Mm, yeah, it, it worked really well. I think um, Pinnock, on the, as like just talking about the outside um, centre-backs, like Pinnock at that left-back role held his position a lot more. Norgard was kind of moved over to that left a little bit, and um, Jens, uh, sorry, Jansen was outside of Norgard, but and Roslev was given a bit more license to attack, and um, it was just le- leaning over to that left hand side, and it did really transfer back into a back four quite regularly with Roslev tucking in, um, and Bermo didn't have to do quite as much defending, and um, you just definitely saw just a stronger build up and bigger passing network just down that left hand side where we were strong and it gave us a really good base and um yeah it, it worked well I, I think um the the question is I, I probably it's it's on the tip of my list and I'm thinking it a lot I'm just like why is it taken why is it taken until six games at the end of the season to develop this system and to get it on the field and um is it is it too late now because it's the it's the kind of like life and impetus this team's needed for maybe a month and a half now just a just mm. something different just something to freshen it up and you only get one chance at this, and uh, this we, because this hasn't been because this basically hasn't been trialed or played um, maybe a month ago. We the gap might not be pulled back now because we run out of games. So I don't know. I, I often think like um, like how much of these things are good decisions like forced upon coaches or or compared to them like going against what they believe in. So like Frank's obviously like four three three or three four three staunchly, but. Something like a three-five-two goes against everything that the data tells you. The 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 players tell you like you want two wingers at the same time. You don't want to lose those rotations. Like three-five-two can be quite a stodgy formation. Like I don't know. It's it's a wider point, I guess. I'm probably rambling off a little bit now quickly, but I, I guess it's like analytics clubs, isn't it? You're, if you're driven by analytics, then you're quite you're quite slow to change, aren't you? Like you're you're quite hesitant to make changes because 
Um, well, basically, because everyone in the room is already smart and come to a decision that you're going to do this and play this way. So if it's not working, it needs changes. Like, like XG is good. Long-term XG is good. Possession value is good. Tactical shape's been decided on by smart people. Position in the league's good. Your wage compared to wages, you're all doing good. Everyone's just slapping themselves on the back, and no one's like saying, mm, "But should we do this?" Do you see? What, do you know what yeah. I mean by that? Well, you can you can fall into. I mean, there's two sides of the argument, isn't it? You obviously have to trust the process to some extent, but there are there are so many factors that play a part, and there are intangibles that you can't necessarily pick up through through looking at data all the time. Don't be wrong, I think mm. obviously both of us quite quite back looking at things from that perspective mm. in the right circumstance. But there are some kind of fundamentals that apply to being a coach which you have to have that flexibility and adaptability, I think. And looking at things from multiple areas. I think if you I think no matter what your your field of view is, if you get too too focused on one area, you're always going to neglect something. Mm. Um, and it I mean it's hard to say, well I'm obviously looking from the outside, I don't know. But I think maybe there was a little bit too much reliance on that process. And I don't mean data. I mean, in terms of Frank's ideas and philosophies, I think it was a little bit too slow to switch away from that. And it's very difficult for coaches to do this. There's, a, there's a, obviously there's a reason why so many coaches do get stuck in, in being stubborn and, and not wanting to change things. But credit to him, he has changed it now. And hopefully the rewards that came from it will be enough to maybe convince him that at times it's worth adapting to, to the situation. Because even if you have on the whole a good output and you're seeing some positive things there are factors that play a part from the opposition too and you have to sometimes account for that and I think maybe Brentford have perhaps perhaps come not not necessarily predictable because you've always been predictable in the sense of how you play but you've always been able to overpower opposition mm, or quite yeah. regularly been able to overpower opposition but once teams are able to find some ways of, of stopping that even if the kind of some of the numbers are still pointing towards positive performances if you're not getting the results, you have to try and find other ways, and it, it might be a switch in approach and or shape in this in this instance. But it's something that needs doing, and it's much less of a. I'd say just just to compare it, just from a Watford perspective, because it's something I'm obviously more familiar with. Uh, Shishko for a while was on very thin ice, and it looked like he was on the brink of being sacked. We were playing a horrible, horrible four four two with no creativity and very direct, bland football and a change in shape kind of almost enforced by an injury to Troy Deeney who felt like he had some sort of undroppable factor around him that he had to be in the team. Once he was kind of took, taken out of that team, we, we switched things up. It was a, a change in our season. I think if that had taken six more games for us, we'd be feeling very similar to how you guys feel in the sense of why didn't this change come earlier? I think maybe the difference, the contrast between the two performances is a bit a bit faster um, from our perspective but the kind of fundamental point of that is still the same you have got to be able to change you've got to be able to adapt but sometimes it takes a multitude of factors that force a coach into doing so it might be partly because of performance it might be some injuries it might be some opposite there's all these factors that play a part but ultimately the important thing is you guys did get there um, and it, you know, there's still a chance that that's enough to to make the difference now in this final running because as we discussed before it's still very very close yeah, completely agree. I think it's like it's that's what I was trying to get at with like how much of these are great foresight or decisions, or is it just that they've been their hands been forced and they have to change? And it's like uh, I can do it now because it's not been it, it's been pushed upon me, and um, not that I'm not accountable for this, but uh, it goes against what I believe in. And if it works, then I can be like, yeah, I've been versatile and I wanted to do it, and it has worked, and you can sort of reap the benefits from that. But um, yeah, I, I just think of it as like maybe a little bit of in summary of 
the changes and like the benefits we've seen it's it's like what if those what if the necessary changes basically go against um everything you believe in and the thing you need to do is just isn't isn't what um you've planned for or what you want to do or or maybe it's like a it deviates from your original plan so i i actually think that frank if so basically these four draws we've had i think if we maybe if we'd won one of those games i i don't think frank would have changed formation i think he'd have stayed with the formation we had and we we might have seen it um, looking ahead here a little bit of foresight we might have seen this change of formation as a surprise against barnsley something like that i think he'd have wanted this is that's how i sort of view it i think he wanted to keep this up his sleeve as like a trump switch and then he'd do something just off the cuff, just to just to have that little bit of difference and unsuspected um, twist against a team that has basically got our number and just proved over the last few games that they rattled us completely. So that that was my thinking. I, I could be way wrong there, but I think it's well, a far more forced. promising, optimistic mm. view than being forced into it through <laughs> lack of yeah. you know results performance. But either way, I mean. Ultimately, Frank made the decision to do it. So you'd hope, I know obviously it's it's difficult to, to change views at that stage of your career, but you'd hope that maybe it's a somewhat of a wake-up call and he's kind of opens his eyes to, to to feeling that maybe it's more of a more of a potential route in the future should things not go as well as hoped. Because, you know, there's only so long you can continue with something before you have to see some change. And I think it was kind of getting to that point, wasn't it, where I'm not saying Frank was going to be sacked or anything, but it's getting to the point of what are we trying to achieve if we're not able to find a way out of it. If you can't if you can't just kind of keep repeating that system and trying to keep pushing it through and pushing it through and trusting it, if you're not giving results, ultimately you need to be competing at that top end of the table and you don't want to see a season wasted because of a, a somewhat of a stubbornness or yeah, a lack exactly. of adaptability. Um, because you have the players and you have the squad to adapt and, and to play in a variety of manners. You're not a team that's built around playing a specific system and only that. You have technical athletic players that can play in a variety of ways. So I think to not utilise that um, is, is detrimental to the team. You have to have a coach that's willing to willing to play in a variety of manners because you're going to have to play different, different differing opponents and it's not always going to be beneficial for you to stick to one route yeah i think you've gone down a really good route there and i could talk um at length about that but just to stop it sounding like um an onslaught of frank after he's got a big win for the first time in ages um (laughs) gonna move uh slightly on to millwall the next fixture so yeah big win after preston um a bit of confidence about the place um a new formation a new shape um and going into battle basically against a team that is a team that just yeah just enjoys the battle and that's um it's kind of one of their main characteristics but yeah Millwall on to next so Millwall's why we're here um it's just really interesting looking at them I think um basically I think they're going to be kingmakers I think if you look at their next three fixtures they've got Brentford uh, Bournemouth and then Watford to follow um depending on the state of them and like the squad shape and makeup by the end of Bournemouth Watford could they they could be um yeah, they could have a really serious injury crisis over the next couple of games and be almost fielding like third third teams. Um, could be in really bad shape by then. Um, uh, their last game was against Swansea. Uh, pretty huge defeat. Um, they lost 3-0, which was really unflattering, I think. I think the game was far more even than that. I think Swansea had a little bit of that. A little bit of that maybe incisiveness, a little bit more quality through the thirds. Just slightly better and players that obviously can punish you in the final third a bit more. Um but yeah, I'll let you come in, Jordan, because um, I feel like I'm going on a little bit. But um, 
Millwall, what's your what's your overriding takes before we start getting into them a bit more on a granular level? Yeah, I think overall, I think they're they're quite they're they're effective in what they do. I think is is probably fair to say for the most part in the sense they're kind of a, a solid, slightly defensive orientated team. Um, but it's really kind of that goal scoring that's letting them down a little bit. I think that we discussed a little bit before we started recording, but their forward line is so so swollen with players and they've not really got that consistent goal score in the forward areas. I know Jed Wallace is obviously a, a big player for them, but they haven't got that striker that's really kind of pushing them forwards. And I think, as you said, that, that score line against Swansea was quite unflattering. I thought, I didn't think Swansea were great at all. And it just it's just one of those situations where the, the the team you're playing against has that quality in the forward areas and they, they make you they make you pay. Um, I don't think they're a bad team. I don't think they're a great team. I think they're definitely a team you should be looking at, at coming away with the three points from. Um, but as you said, they're a, they're a battling team. It's going to be very difficult. Um, I know you've had your struggles with playing in that three at the back systems. It'd be interesting to see how how this new shape kind of comes up against uh, what would have been, I'd say five, four, maybe even three games ago, something mm. would be much more of a daunting task. But I feel like now there's there's a lot more to be positive about going into a game where you're you're playing against that more defensive back three system. Yeah, some good um yeah, some good points there. I, I think you're well just to follow, I guess to follow up on the forward line, we yeah, we were speaking about that. It just seems I was I described it as like an analytics or um just a data nightmare because you just got all these strikers and none of them are really None of them are really sort of goal-scoring strikers. They're just they're just there, aren't they? They're they're mm. sort of. I, I don't want to labour that point too much because um, Bod Varson will get a hat trick um, on Saturday. <laughs> but but um, I, I guess they're all really known for just being pivots and sort of being yeah. nuisances. And then you, basically, they're all they're all strikers that you want to play in a partnership. Like get someone really close to them. But none of them. That's not really how how Millwall have played, and they don't really have that second striker that is. Um, going to be central enough, I guess, because Wallace. I mean, Wallace does come inside, but he's really what you want providing your width, and then mm-hmm. sort of delayed movement coming in. So they're kind of counterintuitive in that they've got this bloated set of forwards that are not really going to benefit and work um, work well enough on their own. It's like they're, they're not going to score goals that they've created themselves. They need lots of it, work it to was, get these. It chances. was Mason Bennett that partnered Wallace in the last game, wasn't it against Swansea? Yeah, which yeah. Was, yeah, it's not. It's, it's it's strange because they have that archetype of, of like a centre forward so much to their squad yet they just they don't kind of use them at all. It is that that front two is quite an interesting. I, I don't actually hate the idea of using those two as forwards, but I just didn't feel like they got the support from from midfield to make it as beneficial. You know, we discussed um, actually in that Birmingham preview, we were discussing how Halilovic from that central area can kind of push on and 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 allow those forwards to kind of operate in some more dangerous areas because they have that runner. I really don't think they will have that same level of threat in any of those midfielders. I think it just they just lack a. They don't look like a team that's been built around a particular plan. It seems like a quite a few square pegs in this one. Um, and that front two, while it could be dangerous, I'm not sure they're put in the best position to, to do so. Mm, yeah, I, I don't. I think there's um, structure about them. Uh, I was saying that before. I think defensively, this team, it's just built basically to have um, uh, that back three very much rigid in its positioning. No, there's no gambling forward. The wing backs quite conservative I mean they do get forward uh, Romeo is obviously a lot more attacking in his in his positioning and supporting Wallace as he comes inside but um, it's very much like let's stay fixed and let's protect the goal and um, let's not move forward and there are some gripes uh, just tuning into a bit of the Millwall fan base a little bit to see like how they're playing and um, is it enough and 
I don't know. They've got themselves just on touching distance of the playoffs, so maybe it is okay. But um, let's start moving. So I'm I'm going to focus probably a little bit on the Swansea game because I think that's quite an interesting case study. Just because, um, well, Swansea are quite high up in the table. Maybe not the the fluid or uh, as uh, maybe not as um, uh, I don't know powerful in front of goal as um, some of the other teams up there. But um, they're good in possession and they they uh, they. Uh, I don't know. They came. <laughs> they came. They come up against Millwall, and um, you're thinking, like, right, what what sort of outfit are they going to? What, how are they going to perform themselves? And uh, it was it was basically just a bit of a cancelling out. I thought when I was watching it. So the two shapes on the day. There was um, a lot of this an- analysis has got. Well, some of the reports have got Swansea playing a four three three, but I still saw them with a back three and the the back five wing back system. It was just it was w- Routledge that probably confused a lot of some of how these things track formations because he was similar to Fosu. He played from the right and actually came central quite a bit as well. So it was more like a I saw it as like a four three. Uh, sorry, a three four three maybe a three well sorry a three five two and then Routledge was obviously just coming inside a little bit and it there was a lot of cancelling out actually of Millwall like both of them probably came up against each other and had a similar formation similar positioning but I, I think this is the best side of Wansley that we see when they have that when it, they have their three midfielders but then they've got another player that's not so conservative in his positioning and it just does they don't get they don't get bogged down on each other and there's a little bit more option further forward and it's not just reliant on IU and Low to receive in the final third. There's also there's also another player that Danda does this quite well for them actually. When he plays, I, I feel a bit more confident about them as a team. But when it's um, Fulton, Grimes and Corey Smith or Hurahan and then it's just IU and Low in front, it can be a bit it can be a bit cloggy in there and that's where they end up just shelling and sitting in front of their own goal. But um, for the two teams, I... I the first half was fairly even. I mean, I I found it. Yeah, I, I think if anything, Millwall probably edged it. Like in terms of um, possession and where they had the ball, I think just that that little crispness in Swansea's play was slightly just elevated them a little bit um, of the first half. And then Ayu scored at a, an incredible time because both both managers are probably planning for a nil nil. Right, we're still in this. Like let's um, let's not give anything away. And Ayu, I think it came from a. Uh, a Millwall throw actually which didn't get cleared properly and then it sort of scuffed around and um, no one really got their foot on it and then everyone's pinned onto the left hand side and I use not actually really concentrating and not paying attention to play but luckily the ball <laughs> comes back to him and he gets it out of his feet and just and just hits one into the top corner it's um, it's pretty typical Swansea but um, yeah uh, anything else you've um, well, anything of note that um, just you want to add quickly Jordan sorry yeah I think on in terms of Swansea I think where they are now it just reminds me so where Swansea are now is exactly where I picture Watford being had we kept had we kept Ivic um, a team of a team that's quite you know again quite athletic quite a strong team um, able to able to kind of sit in that three five two roughly kind of shape. Maybe have a little bit of flexibility in there, but you keep some of those fundamentals the same. But you do have some of the individual quality and some of the technique within those in those players to come away with victories. It's just a case of how consistent can you be with that. I know we've kind of discussed at nauseum how how fortunate Swansea have been on occasion um, to put the runs together they have, but. Again, I think that one against Mill, against Millwall, I, I didn't see a massive golfing quality overall. It was just a little bit in the in the right moments, and I think once that once that first goal you know, was scored, it, it does change the complexion. I know it's cliched, but it, it does have an effect, and it it, allowed, it gave Swansea that confidence. And I think 
I think for a team to be successful in that shape and, and playing the manner Swansea do, they have to have a level of ease to their game and confidence in the forward areas, which is hard to consistently get um, when you play in that way. But it worked for that 90 minutes, so they're obviously not going to be complaining. And I think there was, in general, some better feeling about the shape of Swansea um, and how they were kind of maybe keeping the balls a little bit a little bit shorter and, and retaining that possession a little bit more and, and trying to play in some areas they wouldn't normally. So I think there was, I did think there was some improvement um, from their style of play, but I still don't see them as, 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 I don't see them as being as strong as the likes of Brentford if we're talking about matching um, that sort of play in those areas. I think they do just have that quality to, to push them over the edge in certain games. Mm. Yeah, as I was saying, I think really even half. I don't, I don't think um, Swansea were that impressive. I, I think that goal really did change the mentality and the outlook. Um, second half, uh, Rowett, I guess he wanted to get back in the game. Like We know that the back three sit quite deep. Um, their, their passing model is... You, you just see like um, the ball will go from... Um, the right centre back across to the left centre back, but it it's it gets impatient at that point. Like it only moves across the back line once, and then it's just either launched forward down that down that inside channel just for um, someone to chase it or, or compete. Um, Woods is the one that changes things. So he didn't play. He hasn't actually played for the last couple of games. Um, Brentford fans will know Ryan Woods quite well. He's quite a divisive character in Millwall. Like some think he's a genius, and some can't stand him. And um, the problem they have with him when he plays is that uh, when you it's not just him I think other teams go forward into this trap as well you can have three centre-backs but if you've got like a double pivot in front of them you end up um, when that when that midfielder picks up the ball and you've got sort of three conservative centre-backs behind him and then he's got a sort of midfielder square like you just reduce your forward options it just becomes like you basically when people are on the ball you don't have many options anyway if you've got so many players behind the ball it just becomes this this sort of recycling and this repetitive square get it back square get, and you could never get out of that middle third or you can't I find it move even into the other. worse if you don't if you only have two in central midfield and they're both kind of resigned to playing that deeper role and then you've got the two strikers that are covered quite well by the opposition you you try and force it into the obvious obvious route out to your wing back and you just recycle it's it's what we're talking about before isn't it you you end up if you have those outside center backs that can't control the possession they aren't able to get forwards a little bit it's it's a really risky game to play i think that's maybe the the trend of 352 has definitely put a few a few teams backwards in terms of attacking threat and just made them defensive outfits. Even if they're trying to actually be a little bit more with the times, a little bit more progressive, it's very difficult to do. Mm. So it's it's just one of the characteristics of Millwall as well. I think it's difficult to pull them out of position because of how conservative in position and possession that those the back three are. Like Cooper's not really stepping into midfield; he's getting the ball, and once he's got it, it's it's just going forward long, or or he might move it outside. But there's there's none of this stepping forward and just breaking that first line and. Basically, the midfielders tend to want the ball. They they want to be reserve players. Basically, they want to mm. um, they want to just sort of drop back and just pick the ball up between maybe two centre backs. I think that's a bit more of an effective team. But then that goes against some of Rowett's principles of what he wants in that integrity of three sitting there. So you're kind of caught between this: Are we ever going to progress up the field? Versus like let's just have this defensive stability, stable base of three and two, and then the wing backs as well. So you you almost shoot yourself in the foot. I think. Um, it did it yeah it, it competed with Swansea throughout the first half of the um, match I think second half Rauer had to make some changes to get back into it and it was just fascinating to see like a bit of a change in the team because he pulled on I think he brought on Zahor I can't remember the order of like the players and then um, 
uh, Kefton Bell went off as well and he mixed it up a little bit and there was actually like some possession from Swansea like I'm sorry from Millwall just an attempt I think they went into a back four it was more like a 4-3-3 sort of shape which looked a bit like a 4-4-2 with Wallace as well being up front again Um, and Zahor coming on (laughs) yeah it was just seeing them attempt a couple of like um, maybe a bit more patient passing patterns and moving into the midfield, um, you saw that these play- they are capable of it. Like if you just if this is how you want to deploy your team, they can do it. But then you also saw their limitations and that it offered turnover opportunities for Swansea, and then they gave the ball away in some just criminal areas, and they just had everyone. It, you could tell that it was someone doing a system that wasn't quite what they were used to, and then the expectation mm-hmm. was too high, and it led to a couple more goals. I think the second, I think Lowe's one just. I think he picked up the ball. I'm not sure who gave it away, but he um, a couple of passes exchanged, and then he was in on the back line, and they couldn't settle. And um, just the explosiveness of him on the ball, just a couple of touches, and then the accuracy in the finish was just completely ruthless. And uh, it was like Rowett's in his head. He's thinking, "This is exactly why I play three-five-two all the time. Because I, I just want <laughs> yeah. to, I just want yeah. to prevent these. I just want to prevent these moments." And you sort of go expansive, and you try and outplay a team and then your team just do that um, yeah I think there's a balance to be had there though isn't there there's there's ways of finding a little bit you're never going to be able to if you're looking at Millwall you're looking at the makeup of their squad they're not going to be able to overnight play like a, a nice footballing 4-3-3 but you do wonder perhaps I know he's been a, a, a big goal scorer for them and, and even a sister as well but you think Jed Wallace might be quite useful playing in that three five two system if he's if he's one of the more advanced midfielders in that system and kind of bringing others into play and able to burst forward a little bit i feel like it kind of undermines it a little bit to to put him in that in that striker position where he can drift wide and he's obviously a goal threat but they really lack that ability to move up the field as a team and i I think they just look to me it's that kind of classic situation where you look at a three five two and the strikers are so separate from the midfield Mm. Um, and it's they just they're struggling to fill that gap, and the change you said just became a, a, a turnover nightmare. Um, and, and Swansea were good enough to capitalise on that because you know it's they, they're getting chance after chance in a sense, and as you say, that powerful running just was enough to get them through. Um, but it's it's a frustrating uh, it's quite a frustrating situation to be in. I was going to ask, what do you think about um, Ryan Wood's current situation? Do you think he's regressed slightly in the last couple of years? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I think my instinct says yes. I think um, he's had a couple of moves where... So for, for basically, at Brentford, I, I sort of alluded to it then, Brentford never played three centre-backs. We always played two centre-backs. So the effectiveness of his role was like us building good, just getting good safe possession and structured possession deep, preventing other teams having the ball and then letting us get our get our players sorted further up the field and he would play the ball square and ping it around and there wasn't as much pressing going on back then when he was at Brentford and it was easier for him to to do this but under any pressure he's not great on the ball and he isn't as press resistant as a lot of the the players we're seeing now um yeah. so he does have limitations but i think the point about him and like um a lot of these like regista type players like it, um, i might be um <laughs> regista i'm not i'm not putting him well he was called the ginger peel actually i think wasn't he no that might be someone else i'm sure one of them was but um, the point about them is like they always want to they always want to offer themselves and it's this something they've got in it's their game basically to offer in possession just to be a reserve player but 
for Brentford now, we get that in David Rea quite well, where teams are pushing us high, we can reserve through David Rea. But if you think about it for Millwall, why you get so stodgy and, and bogged down is because they already have three deep players behind them. So the point of him being this reserve player and just offering depth to the possession phase, is, it's almost like... It's almost like you don't need it there. You you don't yeah. need anyone there. You may as well just either if you want if you want to spend your time playing like that, then um, just let him do that between two centre backs and maybe try and get a bit of a possession going, like get a bit more expansive. So it was the same at Stoke as well. He he played in um, there were three centre backs behind him for they tried the four four uh, the four two three one or four one four one however you want to slice it. But I don't think he ever really offered enough defensive stability in front of the two centre backs to, to warrant that position being given to him. So you can't you're not gonna he was just making he was making lots of passes, but I think when they turned over possession he's just like a he's a bit of a glass screen there and which can just be sort of smashed through. And I I'm not sure he re, he is up to championship standard as the as a DM, especially a sole DM. So I, I just think he's had a couple of a couple of moves that probably haven't suited him and um maybe he's had a bit of a levelling off on like where his real talent lies. Like is he a is he a top four, top five championship team player? Um, I, I think I can quite boldly say he isn't. I mean, in the perfect system for him, maybe he could be a consistent playoff player, but that's where it's hard to reckon whether he has regressed or whether he's just sort of finding his level. And maybe Millwall, just on the cusp of the playoffs, is his level. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
I don't know. How do you how do you see it? I don't I don't know. I wonder if to me it looks like a a situation where he'd be a good complement to a midfield of a team that looks to have a lot of the ball and has good fullback play or wingback play in, in the case of a back three and someone that can just be in there to recycle possession and, and move around that kind of defensive line to pick up the ball. But I think when you when you inject that into a, a, a defensive team, it's mm-hmm. hard to really find the value of playing that sort of player. I, I, it feels to me like Millwall had an opportunity to pick up what's a player that's perhaps you know a top end of what they're kind of looking to bring in, but without the really having an idea of how he'll fit into the actual squad they're building. Mm. Um, so you want to play him naturally because he's a good player. I do think he's a good player, but I just don't think he's, he's in the right situation to to thrive there. I think almost that sort of player kind of hampers what what little attack they actually currently have. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. I think you're right. Um, but just focusing on Swansea, just a little bit to clean up on them. I, I think they're, just their efficiency just told in the end, that little bit of extra quality just just finishing Millwall off basically and as much as Millwall tried they they weren't really enough they weren't really able to lay too much of a glove on Swansea and they might get a little bit more joy if Brentford maybe played that 4-3-3 that they've played so so much Um, but if Frank is to persevere with this 3-5-2 system it might be that they come up against a similar brick wall but on um, on Woods as well yeah I I don't know. I don't know if this is the perfect home for him. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm maybe a more expansive manager might suit him a little bit better. But yeah, he's he's played a lot of football for them. I I don't, I don't know what other routes they go. I think he is one of their better midfielders. I think they'd um, they lose something when he doesn't play. And um, as you saw in this game, they look quite even. But across the ninety, um, Swansea. Yeah, Swansea sort of flexed their muscles, and it was before they know it, the power told, and it was three um, nil. Mm. But yeah, just um, maybe just look at just some um, some of my notes. So I, yeah, I, know I didn't you mean to make up the Ryan Woods podcast. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think more people would listen to that than um, me and you rambling on about Millwall shape. To be honest, that, that <laughs> comes out on the, that comes out on a Wednesday. The Ryan Woods. Podcast, so. <laughs> yeah, so just um, some positives, I guess, for Millwall quickly, like some some things I found quite positive, and then see if you some agree. Uh, if you agree with some um uh so i i think structurally like um it's just a recognized recognizable defensive structure i think that has to be viewed as a positive it's not easy to it's not easy to pull any of those defenders out of position you have to work quite hard you have to commit players forward if you want to disrupt them um they they're just known now like you're not you're not going to get anything easy from them it has to be like even as swansea showed like moments of real talent to, to score goals against them um Biakovsky's uh Biakovsky in goal is a big part of that like a, quite a good keeper um doesn't really yeah I, I, he's not really a keeper that you think of as just having to make loads and loads of saves will be peppered I think the defense do a good job there but when he is called upon you, you feel like um there's a good goalkeeper there um I think playing out I don't really see him playing short much it's just long it's just get it away and I think that's where Swansea can get a bit caught uh, sorry Millwall can get a bit caught between they're two ways of playing like um do you should you basically getting the ball forward quickly is great but do they do it in a way where they get enough support around the players and I think their direct style is is a positive for them it's 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 um it's something they're known for but I feel like because the because the defenders and the rest of the midfield don't push up enough they always have like Ryan Woods and maybe Leonard or or whoever else is sitting in the midfield maybe Keftenbeld more recently or Evans there's always two midfielders behind the ball so what can be a positive in that you, you can play quickly, you can turn teams the other way. If those forwards are isolated and can't pick the ball up and then build possession from there, it can quickly turn into a bit of a negative. Like you're, you're, paying, you're playing at a speed that your team isn't set up to play at, basically, and you're, you, it ends up being quite hopeful. 
Um, I think open play attack, I was just looking at, I, I think every, this is really clear though, I think Wallace is their big outlet. That right-hand side with Romeo uh, overlapping Wallace is is really effective. Um, probably not showing up in any like assists or goals like as much as it should be in those numbers, but it's it's a threat you have to be focused on because... Romeo's good on the ball, um, good dribbling skills and can get good crosses in. I think Wallace is similar as well. And when he comes inside, it doesn't take much. It just He needs a good, doesn't need too much of a side of goal to to pull the trigger. And um, probably not got, yeah, as many, not been rewarded in goals or assists as much as he should have been this season. But it's definitely a danger down that right-hand side. So they're their two players, I think, to watch out for. And just to make sure you're... You're um, you're competent down your left side defending them, just making sure you've got a good system and making and they're and they're picked up. Like if they are coming inside, is the defensive midfielder working on that side to make sure that they're, they're not just getting a free run on the centre backs or anything like that? Um, before I, well, I'm going to go on to set pieces actually, and then I'll bring you in, Jordan, if there's anything I've missed or anything else that's really interesting to you. But um, I, I think they're just they're known for their set pieces now. They're just such a strong team in that area. A Cooper's a big part of this, um, like a giant of a centre back. Um, it's just really hard to deal with. Sometimes I think you just have to say that their set pieces can be undefendable. They've got this drilled ball to the back post from Malone, um, left foot in Malone. He plays like um, a wing back position for them. Um, Cooper will pin himself to the back of it. So because he's such a big player, you, you get caught in two minds. Like, do you put your number one defensive player on him so that he doesn't get a good jump on the ball even though he's like six foot eight or something like that really tall or do you use a smaller player just to block his pathway and block him so he sits at the back of the box or he tends to do this quite a lot actually he'll be right at the back of the box so you you're taking out either your number one centre-back defender or you just put a blocker on him so you've got two options there but whatever you do he still seems to get on the end of the ball so anything knocked down from him just can create a, a big chance like you're right in front of goal if it does get knocked down so he's a really hard place to stop. I think he actually hit the post of East Swansea as well. Um, it's a really dangerous player. Um, Brentford have gone a couple of different routes down in the past. I think Rico Henry has picked him up, which looks bizarre. Like um, when you see a player that's sort of five foot six, five foot seven, picking up a giant, and then everything's saying, "Why is he doing this?" But really, it's because you just want to get his pathway slightly blocked. You don't want him having a clean run of the ball. But I don't know. I'd feel I feel really uncomfortable about that. I'd rather um, uh, Ethan Pinnock or Jansen pick him up and just give him a real challenge and. Yeah, just if they have to be fouled to get the ball, then that's what you try and make it look like. Um, if you if but, you've got a big if you've got a big target in those situations, if you've got mm. a, pri- a clear primary target for a set piece, I don't at all hate the idea of having uh, a, someone that doesn't have the aerial presence to be that man marker, and that only if you allow your best aerial threat or aerial presence, sorry, to be that free man that just literally goes towards the ball. And if, if he's a good reader of the ball coming in, you feel quite confident. If, for example, you had Janssen free and looking to looking to just be that free man and almost playing that zonal way, or not mm. even zonal, actually, that's probably a bad description, but literally just there to attack the ball wherever it comes in, um, then I don't hate that. But if you, if you are kind of gambling on on allowing that run to be stopped and that being enough and that's obviously a dangerous game to be playing with yeah it's um yeah it's a tricky one to know how to play it completely as, as i was saying sometimes it could just be undefendable like what it, however the ball comes in if it comes in well um you don't make that first contact with it and it skips past your your best headers and he's just got a clean run then you have to face the consequences and hope that he hasn't had a good enough connection that it goes in or it just goes wide or 
or um, he's just under enough pressure just to just to not get anything clean on. Um, I think set yeah. pieces are interesting to look at, and as you say yeah. about it being un- un- undefendable, there it, it's it's always interesting we talk about set pieces because it's really a, a skill set, both attack, attacking and defending set pieces. It doesn't necessarily correlate to the rest of the game uh, in the sense that it's, it's a different style mm. of defending, it's a different style of attacking. So. It can it can be a leveler, can't it? In, in those situations, a team that you you might have a clearly better team or a clearly favoured team when it comes to set pieces, there could be there could be the complete opposite way around. Um, I think Millwall do have that, and I think because they have that delivery uh, as well and that consistent delivery, and they've got the threat in there, it is definitely one to watch out for. And it's often talked about, of course, you know, danger from set pieces for a lot of teams, but I do think Millwall are one that deserve that that kind of praise because they do have quite well thought out routines and they've got the delivery to execute them which can sometimes be the, the issue you might have a, a situation where you've got a team that have good ideas and how to how to find space in, in those set piece situations and get shots on goal but if you haven't got the consistent delivery to do so it, it falls apart of the first hurdle so I think Millwall definitely that is for me probably their biggest their biggest threat and the biggest potential I'm doing for Brentford on the day mm, yeah it's 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 caught us out before. Um, yeah, they've just got good delivery. Yeah, as you were saying, Wallace and um, Malone, uh, both quality on the ball and just good strikers of it and good connections. And yeah, it. I hate, I, I don't like using the word undefendable, but it can appear like that. Um, it can be out of your hands sometimes almost. There's, there's only so many things you can actually... You can't account for everything because you know, you're, you're trying to predict exactly what's going to happen and it's difficult because it's a set piece but at the same time it's still chaotic there's always going to be an element of chaos to it it's hard to account for every single one uh, every single aspect so sometimes it's just a case of you you kind of put yourself in the best position to defend it and kind of hope for the best really okay so just to just to continue on or maybe sort of finishing up on some of the positives that stood out to me and then maybe you come in with jordan with a couple if you've got anything but i i think um I think the midfield's interesting for Millwall. I think they just get they they are labelled as this cloggy midfield. I think Woods gives a little bit of the expansiveness and can spread it wide and get them playing a little bit. But a lot of the others are maybe disruptors in there rather than actually getting on the ball and and producing anything in the attacking phases. Um, Thompson works hard. I think when you start describing players as just like hard working, you kind of know where you're getting at with them. Evans is similar as well. He's just joined from Barnsley. Uh, sorry. Um, he's come from Derby sorry Derby he came from um, and Leonard as well they're all like combative sort of quite small and um, well Evans is actually big but just just basically disruptive like they're, they're probably better off the ball than they are on it um, Woods changes that a little bit but there is one player that stood out to me and he has in the last few games actually but he had a quite a good game against Mil, uh, Mil, um, Swansea even though he came on the, <laughs> on the wrong side of a 3 and winning it's Billy Mitchell I think he's 20 he hasn't played much this year he's played a fair bit over the last couple of years he's just been hovering around the squad um, he's just, uh, just he just stands out a little bit compared to the rest I think he's a good size like looks like quite a big boy Um Slightly better on the ball and just the way he manipulates it and can just move out of space than all of the others. Um, not massively forward thinking, but good enough to be like a volume passer in a team. And um, I think in the last few games, he's made 50 passes for a mm. Millwall team. And I, I think that's quite impressive. Um, Woods is the only one really in that kind of calibre for them. Um, everyone else is maybe sort of not giving it away, but but just sort of shifting it on and trying to defer responsibility onto other players but yeah. but Mitchell didn't Mitchell didn't appear like that to me and um 
I, I like what he did just to release himself and just separate a bit of space, just getting away from Swansea's midfield and then spray the ball out wide or, or do a bit of work. He gave the ball away a couple of times, but good appetite to get it straight back, like working really hard there. So he's um, he's a player that interested me because it's, it's going to actually be quite hard to, to, to pick this team because Woods, I think Woods was not allowed to play against Stoke, but he was... Well, you have to say he was dropped against um, Swansea. He didn't make the team for Swansea. They decided not to start with him. Um, is that because they saw something good at Stoke that they thought was improved upon? And Mitchell played in both those games so and, and made a number of these passes, which Woods would have made, getting another player who's closer to six foot in the team, um, better from aerial defensive situations, because Woods is tiny. Um, there, could, there could be something in this. So yeah. he was just a player to watch out for me that I um, was quite impressed with. He... He's also he plays at quite a decent pace too, doesn't he? He's not um, he's not afraid to play at like a decent tempo, which is kind of a little bit outside of what you see from Millwall sometimes, which maybe kind of helps that. Um, as you say, he's not maybe maybe not the most forward. He's not he's not necessarily an attacking midfielder, is he? Um, but he's someone that can he's someone that can push the ball forwards a little bit quicker than maybe they're looking to with, with other players. Um, and again, I think that. That physical size is always going to be, a, I think, it's going to be valued quite highly by Millwall right now, isn't it? It's, it's a good asset for them if you can if you can get something in there that can that can still give you some production on the ball and, and be able to pass the ball and able to contribute on that side of things. They also happen to be a decent body, then you're going to put them in there, and it's probably going to be quite beneficial to the way they play. Um, in terms of players to mention, I also I've also been quite impressed with Sean Hutchinson too. I think he's actually been pretty solid. Um, yeah, yeah, he's I think, a good player. I think he's. Got a lot. I think he's out for the rest of the season. Though I think there's something really wrong with. I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. But he's a, no, a big part of them. Yeah, yeah, big part. But I think we can talk about him anyway because it's just a good thing to just to acknowledge. Yeah, I mean, he just he's a player I've been impressed with. I didn't I didn't realize he was his injury, his that injury was that severe. Um, but he, he's definitely one which um, obviously I won't go on for too long. He's not going to be featuring, but just one to keep an eye on because he's kind of been one of those football league guys that's been around for a while, but. I think he's really come into his own at a later age. I always quite enjoy those those kind of players. They they kind of hit their peak at quite uh, quite a late age, you know, thirty years old or close to that he must be now. Um, yeah. And I think he's really playing some good football. So it's a massive shame if his injury is that severe. I didn't realise it was. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think he's going to feature again. I think it was. Um, I can't remember what game was it. Mil- Rotherham. I'm not sure. I've I, sometimes I feel like I watch too much football and I can't actually remember what, <laughs> all the stuff I've seen. But yeah, um, there was. A, I think he is out now I don't think there's much more of him going to play this year it looked um, a little bit a little bit um, on the serious side but yeah big performer for them and you're, I think you're right growing into and cementing himself into like a certainly like a mid-tier championship team and you wonder what like, he probably is at his like top level now just hovering outside the playoffs but yeah really commanding at the back yeah just a, just a huge player I yeah, big player for them, and probably a big part of why they're um, so hard to beat. And yeah, not playing against Swansea, maybe maybe he may have made the difference as well. Mm. But yeah, definitely worth highlighting. Um, yeah, player I enjoy watching too. But also another thing, what we Brentford. This is probably a positive for Brentford actually. The fact that he won't be there for attacking set pieces for Millwall. He's another one that gets off the back of some of um, Cooper's stuff, or or just it just gives you. So if you're looking at number one, two, three defensive guys, like Hutchinson's another one behind Cooper, who's a big problem to deal with so that just moves it down the list a little bit as well so it might be um might turn out to be a bit of a benefit for Brentford in both the defensive and attacking areas yeah another one is maybe not so much a a, I'm not sure it's a Millwall strength or a Jed Wallace strength but I do find they 
they do a pretty good job of finding space outside the box to take shot for, shots from. I think when, when Jed Wallace can be so dangerous from range, getting him into positions where he's, he's getting on the edge of the box and picking up the ball, I think that's quite beneficial for them. And they do often find themselves in a situation they are able to take some shots from outside the box. And they're pretty proficient at it. So that's definitely something kind of have to be aware of is you know that that space on the edge of the box. Normally, you're playing against teams that kind of work their way in, whether it's feeding it from crosses or trying to kind of play through a little bit more centrally. Generally, that area outside of the box doesn't really feel too much of a threat. But I think against Millwall, you've kind of got to be a little bit more proactive there and maybe look to try and kind of shut that down a little bit quicker than you might do against some other teams. Mm. Yeah, that's quite a good point, actually. I'll briefly... Um, some of it probably built in what I was saying about Wallace, how you, you, you can't really just, if there's any space between that, that centre-back area and um, and, your, and your midfield and he gets beyond, it doesn't take long for him to just think, let's just, just hit this one or let's yeah. put something on target. And and um, I, I guess all analytics is basically driven now. It's just saying, don't take long shots, don't take long shots. Like the, the, the average shot is moving closer and closer. But I think the timing of shots is really important. Like when the moment's on and you can, Akid was unsettled or he hasn't had a chance to settle or, or it's the element of surprise and it's a good low strike on target. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what situation, or it doesn't matter what situation it is, but there's some situations where that's really, really beneficial. And yeah, I think you're right to, definitely right actually to identify that with um, Wallace. I think if you're talking about analytics too, I think someone like Jeb Wallace is an, is an outlier from that because I, I do think he offers you a quality of shot from outside the box, which is beyond what you're mostly going to get from the average kind of midfielder or striker that's playing a little bit deeper. So I think, again, that kind of comes to finding that balance, doesn't it, of trying to how to use those players in their best roles and I think Wallace you want to give that freedom even if it doesn't come off every time I think that threat that it poses if it makes the opposition react to someone they know that's capable of shooting from that range it also kind of opens up some areas elsewhere too if you have the players to do it maybe Millwall don't have the players to quite capitalise on that but I do still think there's a threat there and they've got to kind of try to use it when possible and they do a pretty good job of playing through that um, through that area of the pitch and giving him those opportunities. Mm. Yeah, I think um, a lot of what you're saying, actually, Brentford have lost with Ben Rama. I mean, we have now we just have Sergi Canos, this high volume shooter who doesn't have the accuracy or or probably the understanding the right moments when to do this or or basically his decision making is poor. It's, it's the only way to really uh, the only way to call it. And I think um, his output has really shown that this season in front of goal. And Ben Rama offered the volume he offered the goals but he also offered the mystique as well because he could play other players in on the edge of the box and when you yeah. when you sort of just go yeah. for like for like and swap those two players you see that you need to um you basically you need to build up those deficiencies in other areas because you're not going to get them back from um Sergi Canas um but yeah I think we've done okay in um some of these Millwall plaudits and just highlighting some positives for them. I'm going to move on to some sort of weaknesses now that I saw and um we have touched upon them already but um, let's give them the the section that they deserve. Um, forwards is one of my um, one of my uh, starting points. I think we'll go from the top of the team backwards. Um, yeah, I, I said it earlier. I think it's just a, it's just a nightmare situation they find themselves in. I think you, if you've got so many forwards on your books and you're just so reluctant or hesitant to play any of them or none of them feature in your in probably your best team or your best system, you've got yourself into a bit of a mess. Um, what have we got? John Daddy, Bob Varson, um, Smith, Bradshaw, Zahor. I'm not really wanting to... Yeah, I, I said it earlier. Like I, I, I think playing like maybe a lone striker role in this team where you are 
not feeding off scraps, but the game is quite direct. You need to get the team building up and then maybe putting some crosses in or, or getting something into the box. It's not really any... There's no None of these are getting involved in short build-up and then manipulating the ball and, and bringing in like a player who's running in advance of them. Um, they're all quite laboured, really. I think Bennett... Bennett comes under this category, but I think Bennett's a bit more of a, a wide player now. It's hard to really describe him as a forward. He's he plays wide, um, does a lot of his work out wide, and he's played mostly his time there. Um, for Mill has been off that left wing, coming in on his right hand side, and I think, to be honest, I actually think he struggled a bit. I don't think he's been great. He's, I think he's got six goals. Um, he's played a lot of minutes. Uh, is it is it the system? Is the is the team part of it as well? I don't think he's done great. I don't doesn't get. Well, the team don't really get him one on one enough. Um, he he works hard out of possession, but then again, I think a lot of te- like most forwards are doing this now. I'm, I'm not. I've not been that impressed with him. But have you got anything on the on the forwards, Jordan? Are you are you with me? I just I just don't. Yeah, I'm definitely with you. I I'm not a massive fan of their forwards as a group or individuals. To be honest with you, um, I don't want like to be too negative on that. I just don't. It's just not a very balanced group of strikers to me. Um, I feel like they they're quite quite a random bunch. I don't see either of them or any of them really kind of fitting fitting what they're trying to do in a sense because they're trying to be a little bit more trying to be a little bit more fluid in the forward areas in the sense they've got Bennett and, and Wallace that can kind of drift into some wider spaces. But I, I don't think Bennett is the finisher that you, you kind of need when you're not creating the clearest chances and you're obviously struggling in front of the goal to kind of put away those shots. Um, then you've got the other the other bodies in there, the likes of Zahor, who's kind of maybe got a little bit more to his game in terms of the the hold up. Well, he has definitely in terms of the hold up play, but again, is maybe a little bit limited in some different areas. And then someone like Bradshaw, who he's not the best athlete, but he can be good in the box. But if you're not getting the ball in the box that often, how useful? You just got these strikers who don't really quite fit what they're trying to do, and that it's a little bit similar to what we're talking about with Woods. I don't think they're necessarily bad players. I'm just not sure that they're, they're not players that are brought in based off opportunity to bring a player in ahead of best fit. It makes perfect sense. If that makes yeah, sense. I think that's how I'd I'd kind of analyse it. I, I don't think they fit together well. I don't think you can see good combinations. And I, I just think all of them would love like an attacking midfielder with them or someone joining in. And you don't really get that from the shape. Well, it's strange they don't use Wallace in that sense ever. It is strange to me they don't try and use Wallace in, in kind of more of a supporting role at times. I know he's a threat for, on goal, obviously. And when you're struggling to score chances, you kind of don't want to take, you don't want to, you don't want to reduce your kind of top scorers' chances to score goals. But I do think if you spread that, you spread that work that that workload around a little bit more, you might get more out of it. I think honestly, if I looked at that front line, obviously we didn't we didn't say Matt Smith okay. either in that yeah. conversation, um, but. You know, for obvious reasons. Um, I think if you're talking about a player, for me, probably if I'm looking through that squad of players I'd kind of want to play off, you might look at Tom Bradshaw as the option I'd be looking at personally. Um, but even then, you're kind of you're sacrificing a few other areas of your game to kind of fit him in too. So it's a real it's a real difficult situation. I don't envy the task uh, of Rowett there. I think it's it's a tough one to kind of try and find that balance. And I understand what he's trying to do with with Bennett and, and Wallace, but if, if you've got that kind of You've got four strikers available to you, and none of them are getting on the pitch. It, it says enough about that that group to to kind of give you that understanding yeah, of what's going on. Not, there, I, um, I don't think you need a crystal ball to to see some of his issues, but um, no. just maybe uh, just to maybe a rebuttal on Wallace a little bit. And this is it comes under some of the negatives I think of their shape, but I think the reason why they play Wallace off that right and just leave him out there because. It, 
basically this team doesn't have many rotations of players it's quite static and it's quite just regimented all through games and and Wallace coming in off that wing is probably and then Romeo on the outside is one of their only sort of rotations of movement they have so I think if you bring if you bring Wallace inside and he situation he finds himself central quite a lot then does that take a little bit away from his game like is he dragging anyone away from that wing is he just easy to is he easy to pick up basically and I think it's that little bit of element of surprise that they try and maintain but then again this is what I was talking about earlier like the one thing you don't want to do might be the thing that solves your problems and you're just fixed on that initial thing yeah and that's and what you're saying there is I'm kind of getting out my thought I'm not trying to sit here in armchair <laughs> man you know I'm not trying to just say like this is what Gary Rout should be doing but I think their current situation does beg the question would they benefit from having someone like Wallace who's able to he, if he wants to be in that right hand if he wants to spend 70% of the time on that right hand side of the pitch then by all means uh, go for it but I think they've got such a defensive base through midfield I think they've got the ability to allow some freedom in, in, in that more advanced midfielder role and give some support if that support's coming from the right and he wants to keep that connection down the right hand side then it's actually the most effective way then by all means but I don't think it would hurt to allow Wallace to be in other areas of the pitch too because he's your most dangerous player and he, he's the guy you're looking to when you need to score goals and and assist goals and I think you have to put them players in the best position to to be productive and right now he's obviously he's doing well um, but you do feel like he could be influencing the team even more. I don't think they can look at the rest of the squad for enough alternatives to find other ways of being creative. So I don't like to see a team kind of hamstrung to one player, but if you are, I think you've kind of got to do everything in your power to, to make the most out of them. And, and maybe maybe Rowett sees that as, as what he's doing. So, I mean, I could just be wrong in this, of course. Um, but to me, I, I do wonder if you'd see maybe a little bit more of those forwards if you, if you were to give them support, the support of someone like Wallace who is playing at you know really high standard yeah yeah I completely agree I completely agree um yeah so just stepping back a little bit from the midfield and um forwards into the midfield um uh, so it's generally um generally like a three five two in there that's what we're seeing or three four three there's always you're always looking at three midfielders you have your two as we mentioned earlier like a double pivot and then someone else working with them um that's where it can get a little bit bogged down um I think Brentford in the four three three system, I think we'd see a little bit of um where we've come unstuck a little bit as well is the central area is just owned by them like they they kind of outnumber us because we try and vacate that middle area and move our midfielders wide when we're trying to build up and it can it can get a little bit a little bit bogged down and then uh, they can just not cement good possession in the middle but it can be just very frustrating to build anything in that central areas and it just becomes quite scrappy and um no one's really making any impetus and those really are the the principles that mill will want like they don't want anyone having stabilized possession against and they do want it to be a scrappy game so one of my negatives i guess is this limited rotation of players for them it's just very much like let's stop the opposition let's be disruptive and it can only work so much. I think you have to have more of an attacking plan than that. But um... I do think if you're going to be... There are teams that can create opportunities for the defensive work, but it has to be aggressive, right? If you look at the case of someone like Barnsley, who they can force you into making... They can, they can force chances by making you make mistakes. But if you're defensive in the manner that Millwall are, you might be a little bit deeper and maybe a little bit more passive and just kind of winning that ball back through forcing the opposition to play patiently and, and eventually pass into some high-risk areas we can turn over that ball it's very difficult then to to have that transition up the pitch and actually kind of get shots on goal I think I think you see that with Millwall quite a lot they just 
they're not able to to go from defense to attack at, at any speed and it, it does mm. hurt them yeah and then i guess following back um we've we spoke a little bit well we've spoken at length about woodsy um and then some of the others that support him there and i'm well i think i'm turning into a billy mitchell advocate but some of their build, <laughs> some of their um some of their issues at the back when they're in possession like build-up problems i call them is they they just get caught in they just get caught in two minds like um I think that first phase of passing where it moves from like maybe right left center right center back to left center back um there's just a lack of patience there and it's I guess it's this this idea that you don't want the ball too near your own goal too often like they'll rarely go back to Biakovsky it will just be once it's out to Cooper on the left or um uh the right one's um gone from my mind at the moment Murray yeah, Wallace or something yeah right center back like yeah, well, or yeah. if it, whoever if whoever it goes out to those like areas, if it's come from the other side of there, it just goes forward. Like it doesn't matter if it's a percentage ball or if it's territory or if it just sort of goes forward. And you're thinking maybe these are just yeah, they're low percentages. Like maybe one out of ten are gonna are gonna land in in the path of Wallace for him to run onto and um, create something. And most of them are going to be gobbled up by a centre back seeing that that's coming or. Or maybe like a, a fullback, um, just being aware as well, and just getting a getting a good head of the ball. So I, I think they're quite impatient down that back line. I think they just need they they just need to be a little bit more patient and just build something a bit more. And I think maybe that's where Woods comes in, screaming and demanding the ball. Um, I think that's also too. We we discussed in, in regards to Brentford earlier as well. If you don't have decisive centre backs on in possession, there's often only really even though three five two systems or three at the back systems five at the back even the call that can be quite slow at times you have to have a, a, an outside center back that needs to be able to push the ball forwards aggressively when the when the situation arises and i'm, I'm not sure mill will really have that um, if you don't have a route into midfield you're just going to go long and i just don't think they're set up to go long right now um, it's very difficult for them to kind of hit that ball early and really actually retain possession and often you see that kind of forced into not making a mistake ball upfield rather than actually looking for a pass, um, which it, it, it creates some of the most dire football you can watch um, from a fan's point of view. Um, and I've, I've been witness to something very similar before at, at Vicarage Road myself. So I know how unappealing that can be, but them situations are very clear. And I think it's difficult because you might want to get the solidity that that back five gives you off the ball. But Again, it's touching on trying to find that balance. How how can you do so? I don't really see Millwall having the answer to that right now. It might be a personnel problem. It might be an application problem. It might be an instruction mm. problem, or it could be a combination of all three. Of all three, I'm not quite sure. But there's definitely the issue there. I think that defensive line. If you're talking about their their deficiencies, it's not really off the ball. I think they're pretty good defensively. It's just what do they do when they have possession? They how do they start them attacks? Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's um it's something for Rout to work on, and he has to. There's no point in saying that you're you're a coach that has new ideas and you've learned lessons from previous times and you're ready to to build um, a, a possession based team and you're and you're not really doing it. Like you only you only get a couple of chances that you can't be you can't be saying that for years. Basically, you can only say that for a certain number of certain number of games or a period before it just um, yeah it just becomes a bit of a, a bit of a soundbite. Um, I do sympathise because he doesn't have the personnel perhaps to mm. do so. Um, but also, as you say, when they did switch to that four-three-three system, they also looked pretty open. So yeah. it's a real, it's a real tough balance to find. I, I do, I, I don't think he's doing a bad job out of what he has in terms of results. I just think you're not going to. I think with the means that he currently has available to him, I, I don't think is, it's easy to find a way of, of producing 
or progressing um, the way they'd like to as a team. I think until they make some personnel changes and they allow some different sorts of players to come into the club, I don't really see them changing their, their kind of approach as things stand. I think of really looking at kind of the best case scenario right now, maybe they'll get a bit more efficient. If they're a little bit more efficient in front of goal, if they had perhaps a a more clinical striker they might be they might be in a better position of course because they are making some they are making more chances than they're actually actually able to finish I'm not sure off the top of my head actually I didn't I should have looked beforehand but I imagine they're undershooting their expected goals by a significant amount yeah I'd say so as well I'm not sure I don't really ever I'm not really ever looking for Millwall or keeping them at the top of my head but I think you're probably right leaning that direction let me just pull up something quickly I think um they're never going to. I wouldn't have thought they're they're outperforming. Um, it's not really their style, is it? Uh, where are we? No. Yeah. So expected goals for what we are forty five. Mm. Yeah, that's including penalties as well. I think they're about forty five, and they've got about forty goals. So they are. It looks like they. It's are not behind. too far off. It's actually it's actually closer to what I thought, but. If you, I don't know, if you throw in some Jed Wallace kind of wonder strikes in there and maybe things balance out a little bit more, I don't know. Yeah. But to me, I just think the the quality of chances they're creating, even if they're not amazing chances, I thought there's still situations where their strikers just aren't capable of getting shots on target in situations where you kind of have to. Mm. If you're not going to have many chances per game, you've got to find ways of scoring. And I talked about this when I looked at Sheffield Wednesday just a couple of weeks ago. They don't have, they don't have a, consistent way to goal route to goal but they do have a striker in the box in the likes of Jordan Rhodes that if you can get the ball into the box you are able to capitalise of some, some lower probability mm. chances and fewer per game when you do need a high quantity of opportunities per game because your finishing's poor it's very difficult for a team that sat as deep as Millwall can be and they don't manage to get the ball at the pitch that well so it's a, it's a difficult situation for them to kind of capitalise on those opportunities and, and do enough and outscore the opposition because they're not I mean I know they lost 3-0 to Swansea but I think for the most part the teams around them are not going to concede too too many goals it's just a case of where does that attacking threat come from mm. I guess just rounding off this point as well actually it was quite interesting is um, I do know that it's 538's non-shot XG numbers are really interesting when you look at um, when you look at Millwall. So there's obviously there's there's standout defensive teams. So basically teams who aren't allowing like lots of high value chances against them or high value passes and passes into their box and they're preventing these. The standout defensive teams are Brentford, Barnsley, and Rotherham because of um, Brentford basically just their system just it just pushes everything out wide and then all that comes in is crosses. You can't really get through the middle. Barnsley we know about their intensity of just blocking off the pitch in that area and just basically packing everybody into into that area and just turning over the ball as quick as they can and just making it really hard and then Rotherham are just like um basically like a Barnsley light really they're like they're trying to get a really good pressing system going as well but in the attacking areas so the teams that are creating like the highest value chances and putting the ball in good areas and hard to defend against Norwich are a clear standout but the next are in a little bunch it's Bournemouth Brentford and Blackburn and then a bunch behind is Millwall, Watford, QPR, Cardiff and Stoke all looking around just just a bit better than average. So um, if we're thinking about like take-ons in the box, like just balls slipped in, like just into the half spaces, like just what the higher value, the, the chances that lead on to chances, basically repeatable stuff. Millwall aren't actually doing too bad in this area. It's just that stuff on the end of it. Like Bennett, we were talking about, Bodvarsson, I think he's got one goal this season. Um 
Bradshaw. I don't think Bradshaw's got Bradshaw's certainly not got double figures. I think he's got a couple of goals. Um, Wallace, yeah. In fact, I don't think any of their formers are double figures. I think Wallace is leading the way on. Joe was his top scorer at nine, isn't he? Yeah. So you can kind of see that that it's nothing. The shots and like what they're creating isn't actually that bad. It's nothing in that area. It's actually just finishing these chances or getting them getting them on target. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to look at Millwall. I think. Um, they have um, they have a really recognisable shape, as we said at the top, but there's still work to do. And uh, yeah, I, I was saying they're going to be kingmakers because they've got three tough games coming up against um, teams that are all going for either the playoffs or automatics: um, Watford, Brentford, and Bournemouth. So depending on depending on aptitude and just who they can field and how they turn up on the day, it could be that um, basically someone benefits big like massively from them not performing or or them having really good games and stifling and shutting stuff down so there are definitely a team to pay attention to um oh, go on sorry john no i'd say it's very similar to um to birmingham in in recent weeks too birmingham yeah. played us uh, watford brentford and swansea all in the space of about three weeks as well wasn't it and that turned out to be that was in that situation is beneficial for watford more than anyone wasn't it but um yeah, I, I do feel like you maybe had the advantage. I think if I was looking at the teams who are looking at us to play in Millwall, I think I'd rather play them first. Um, I, th- I think maybe you had the advantage playing them first in that sense because it's kind of the less games left in the season, the kind of more more importance kind of placed on that remaining fixture. And maybe there's a little bit more of a free hit feeling at Brentford than there is at Watford. I'm, I'm not sure. But maybe that's just a pessimist in me, being a Watford fan. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I, I don't know. I think I'd rather play them when you're playing them. I think it could be that, as I was saying earlier, like they could be they could be down to bare bones by then. It's another couple of games of load onto a really tough season. Um, yeah, I, the more tired they are, the they better. are kind of in the middle, aren't they? They're, they're, they're ninth or tenth right now. They're not really in a position to. Mm, it just looks just really beyond looking. them, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think we've covered, yeah, we've covered them at length and it's been awesome. Um, Jordan, you should um, please remind us where to find you online and um, just reference your pod again. Yeah, so I am one third of the Watford Buzz podcast um, and I also do a solo uh, preview podcast looking ahead to Watford's fixtures, which may not be the most interesting to you Brentford fans, but uh, I do talk about Brentford every now and then too. And David's been on our podcast as well. Uh, and I'm imagine we'll be doing something in the build-up to the Watford-Brentford game, which will be a big one coming up. Uh, if you're interested in looking at any more Watford-related stuff um, on the off chance, then um, uh, at Jordan Weimer, W-I-E-M-E-R, and that's uh, Watford Analytics on Twitter. Ah, great stuff. Yeah, definitely check it out, guys. Um, great stuff on there. Um, but yeah, that leaves me to uh, wrap things up. Um, yeah, so thanks again to Jordan. It's been awesome. Um, from a Beast Tactical perspective, uh, subscribe to the Patreon, support the podcast, um, all the usual things. Uh, the Twitter's obviously at Beast Tactical. Um, review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I think it works in a way that gets you up rankings and you can be seen and visible by more people. So review and rate. And yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll catch you next time.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 